In order to have a meaningful Lent, we have been studying what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Discipleship means following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. Now, we cannot follow Jesus unless he invites us and calls us to follow him. Once again, discipleship is a great privilege and a huge honor. When Jesus calls us to follow him, it means that he is committed to lead us and guide us. If you think of being a follower is a burden, you need to know that being a leader is a great burden. Uh, president uh, uh, Truman once said, to be a president of the United States is a very lonely job. I think uh, regardless of our political affiliation, we need to pray for our President Trump. I bet he's really lonely. And yes, so again today, I want to correct another misconception of American evangelical Christians on this idea of discipleship. Many see discipleship individualistically that only a few selective special Christians are called to be a disciples. It's like a, a Marine Corps. Uh, there's an army, there's a Navy, and Air Force, and there's a few good men. Hoorah! You know, this is a, somehow they think uh, they are ordinary Christian, and there is a special dedicated people called disciples. At least that's what I thought when I uh, first time heard that uh, discipleship in my college years. So back in the 80s, when I signed up discipleship, it means an intense Bible study and spiritual discipline. So I went through two years of a, a navigator training. And, and during that time, in the first six months, we went through the basic doctrinal study and uh, memorized uh, 60 Bible verses. So after that, you are qualified to be called a disciple. So if you don't finish that course, you're not even a disciple. You're just a church goer Christian. And after that, we go a year and a half. We went a year and a half uh, memorizing 180 verses and all the inductive Bible methods. And then you began to teach people. And that's what we thought was a discipleship. And then to just uh, uh, bear my uh, testimony, you know, my real discipleship didn't happen through the navigator training. It happened when I discovered love of Jesus Christ from the scripture. Actually, John discipleship in our church, that is my own testimony, how I really realized that I can be a disciple of Christ. On the side point, that's the side point. But going back to Jesus called his disciples, not just individually, but also to a community as a group. Discipleship is a fellowship of following Jesus with the other disciples. Disciples follow Jesus not only individually, but also corporately. We have the same call to follow Jesus together. I call it shared call of a discipleship. Shared call of a discipleship. In Matthew 28, 19, the last command of Jesus, or what we call Great Commission, confirms the universal call of all followers of Christ to be disciple and disciple maker. Do you remember? Jesus said, go every part of the world and make disciples of all nations. You know, one thing uh, 
we all, I, 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 uh, one reflection I have about coronavirus is that coronavirus lives on no one free. Everyone must comply and work together. Otherwise, this virus will continue. Just like the, you know, we together, we, we, we beat the virus and uh, recover the uh, safe society for everybody. We share the call of discipleship together. So today we will learn three truths about the shared call of a discipleship of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, 12 to 17 and the, uh, 16. And then let me read a passage for you. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside and prayed and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him and chose 12, 12 of them, and whom he designated apostles, Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This shared call of discipleship shows us that our corporate discipleship has a three important affirmation and blessings of the gospel. And the first of all, first of all, first one, first blessing, this shared call of discipleship means it's a providential fellowship. It's a providential fellowship. We are not called accidentally, but providentially by sovereign God. Today's passage starts in the verse 12, that Jesus went to the mountainside and spent the night praying to God. So how did Jesus call the 12? He prayed all night to God before he called disciples, 12 disciples. You should know and make a note. This is the only incidence in the New Testament that's someone spending whole night in prayer. We all know that Jesus is a man of prayer. Before, when he was, uh, when he was baptized, Jesus was praying. And also after baptism, he went to wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. And then Jesus from time to time slipped from the uh, people's popular uh, crowd and then prayed every day. And we know that Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Even on the cross from beginning to the end, Jesus prayed. Jesus was man of a prayer. But before he called the disciples, he prayed all night. All night. And this shows that this is so important. And now, why selecting 12 was so important? The two key Words that stands out here is the 12. He chose the 12 of them. The number 12 matters. Because the 12 to Jewish mind means 12 tribe of Israel. So, for instance, when Joshua crossed the Jordan River supernaturally to enter into the promised land, what did he do? He called the 12 men each man from the tribe of Israel, to collect the 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River to commemorate the supernatural crossing. 
And Solomon had Solomon, King Solomon is a 12 guards. Once again, he tried to show that he's not a king of Judah, but king of every tribe of Israel, king of a unified nation. And priest Ezra, when he returned from exile, of a Babylonian exile, he called the 12 priests. That means all Israel are rebuilding Israel, the new Israel together. And so 12 here, 12 means the uh, new Israel. And in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said, You who followed me will sit also sit with me on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribe of Israel. So these 12, they're the one who will carry Jesus' mission. And then another important word here is apostle. Apostle literally means sent out ones, is the messengers. We have the most important message of the world, for the world. Imagine if you know the simple remedy for the cure of a COVID-19 virus. The entire world media will be on your, on, in your, you know, will be in, the, in front of your house. We have a cure for death, cure for sin. We have a remedy for eternal life. So the importance of these 12 apostles was illustrated and confirmed by Jesus later in John, uh, uh, Jesus' final prayer in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 17. And then let me just read a few of it. John chapter 17, this is Jesus' final prayer. The prayer before he was arrested, John chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus said this, I have revealed to you, Father, those whom you, have, you gave me out of this world, they are yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Twice Jesus said, Jesus called the disciples, 12 disciples, as those that God gave him. For they are yours. All I, have, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them, through the 12 disciples. And then verse 20 is a very good news for all of us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in them through their message. And then all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in them. Jesus called the 12 those you have given me twice. So what does it mean? Do you know we met each other in the church? in the same church, same local church, by God's mutual calling. Because God gave each one of us to Jesus, and Jesus, with a sovereign grace, called us to be his church in DFW. So I want us to, all of us to know the forest is not accidental. It's a providential. We are an intentional community. We are intended by Jesus. Let me illustrate uh, this, uh, the miracle and blessing of an intended relationship uh, with a comparison to a recent Paul. There was a, a, a survey organization called the One Paul, 
And recently, uh, 2019, they teamed up with the e-bike, and they surveyed, uh, surveyed about 2,000 uh, American adults to find about the intricacy about their friendship. 42% of our participants said that they find it very difficult to make a new friend, 45%. And the 42% of Americans surveyed cited their shyness as the most pressing roadblock to make a friendship. An additional 45% says that they would make an effort if opportunity present themselves more frequently. And according to survey, the average American adult has not made a new friend in five years. Average American has made a new friend in five years. You know, by grace of God, I've been making more than five new friends every year since especially, you know, Forrest started. Hallelujah. And also, it is my life testimony and experience that when I follow God, you know, God finds many great friends in Christ. So those of you longing for friendship, follow God. God will connect you to the great people. According to survey, the average American has 12, uh, 16 friends. Out of the 16 friends, they, they divide into three groups. The first three are the really close friends that you will, uh, you will like it and, uh, uh, you know, you will connect anytime. And the other uh, five friends, they, uh, you really like and you then hang out one by one. The remaining eight were the people that you consider hang out one by one. And uh, one last thing about this uh, uh, friendship making a survey is that the uh, most good friends in life were made when we are young. So those close friends, friendship occurred early in life, childhood, high school, and ladies as a college. So they say 50% of uh, uh, surveyed people say that uh, their friend group is primarily made up of people they met in high school or prior. And 31% said they are still with the pals uh, they met in college. But the most of important res uh, respondents, they said good friend was defined by two key factors, honesty and trust. Someone who is honest and someone that you can trust. You know, this statistic of a one poll organization with the e-bite tells me that how important and relevant our house church ministry in our world. People are looking for good friends. And I say, and the good friendship is an opening door to the gospel. It's actually an invitation to the kingdom of God. People, even who are not interested in the message of Jesus, they are interested in meeting good messengers. So let us be a good messengers. Now, so Jesus prayed for all night to Father to give me the people that I can build your kingdom. And then, so what kind of people did God give to Jesus after his all night prayer? God the Father gave Jesus ordinary people. 
not overachievers, ordinary people. They were not only unimpressive, but actually they are very uh, incompatible. They are not a perfect, but very problematic fellowship. And that's the second point of our shared call. Shared call means problematic fellowship. If you look at the names of a talk, immediately those of you read the Bible and know some of their uh, uh, story, read the, some of their stories, you know these are the very flawed people. For instance, Simon, the uh, the Peter, he he will always mention the first. So he's a leader, probably because he's the oldest, and we know he's married. But Simon's temperament is very emotional, impetuous. He's not a good leader type. He's a loud mouth boss type. I mean, boss type. Do you have a loud mouth boss? Jamie has a loud mouth husband, but anyway. And James and John, you know, their nickname is Sons of Thunder, hot tempered people. And Philip, do you remember Philip? When Jesus trying to uh, meet the need hunger of a 5,000 men and his family, their family, and they ask about Philip, what was his response? Even 200 denarii would not be enough. He is smart but very critical, just like the typical smart people who are very cocky. is a very, very critical, too rational. And Bartholomew, actually, most uh, New Testament scholars think that this is a Nathaniel because on uh, Gospel of John, uh, John calls him actually Nathaniel. And if you look at the John chapter 1, when Nathaniel was invited by Philip to meet Jesus, first thing came out of his mouth was Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? By the way, Nathaniel's from Cana. So he's uh, another Galilean making fun of another Galilean. He's a marginalized making fun of another marginalized. It's like uh, in our context, uh, four Worthingtons making fun of a Dallas site. Or another Texans making fun of a Wake One. And then Judas Iscariot came out the last. Even a betrayer was included. I want to I wanna, uh, give a one important caveat. Is, uh, don't think that uh, God called him to use him to betray Jesus. One day I will preach full sermon on Judas Iscariot. Just for now, I want you to know that had Jesus not called him, do you think he would have lived a life better? Someone who betrayed is a good rabbi after three years of being loved and cared and taught would not fare well in his life. So, in a way, the, Jesus, the, the 12 include Peter, it actually comforts me a lot because one of them didn't make to the end. You know, in our faith journey, not everybody goes to the end. Some fall in the middle of the world. It's a humbling and sad, but at the same time, it is also comforting. That, but one thing for sure is that God included everybody. God gives chance to everybody. And then the most, you know, uh, I want to bring out the one very, very, uh, uh, one very uh, potential time bomb in this talk is a Matthew and 
Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. We heard about, we, we, we learned about Matthew two weeks ago in the scandal, in the sermon called The Scandalous Call. But Simon the Zealot, let me tell you the origin of a, ze- a zealot. The word zeal came from Numbers 25. If you look at the Numbers 25, when Israelites were traveling in the wilderness and they came to a place called the Sittim, and uh, Moabite, they seduced them and they, get in, they participated in their sexual religious orgy. And there, God was so God was so upset, and God called Moses and the Israelite leaders to purge this uh, Israelite to compromise their faith. In that story, one is uh, in that story. There is a verse eleven. Let me jump into the verse eleven. Uh, Phineas uh, is a son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, Aaron's grandson. <laughs> He actually took the spear and killed his fellow Israelite who was fornicating with a Midianite or a pagan woman during that orge. And then after that, God said, Phineas, son of, uh, grandson of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelite since he was as a zealous for my honor. Among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. And verse 13 again. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was a zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So zealous, they were Israelites who pledged themselves to follow example of Phineas in killing and purging unfaithful Jews. So during the intertestamental period, especially during the Roman occupation, these zealots, they've been assassinating all those collaborating Jews. There were religious terrorists. The first of jihadists in the first century Israel. Isn't it incredible that Jesus invited a member of a Jewish al-Qaeda or ISIS in the band of his disciples? So imagine the first encounter between the Levite, the Matthew, the tax collector, and the Simon, the zealot. It's like a neo-capitalist and the communist working together. It's like the staunch Trump supporters and the super liberal Bernie babies working together. I, uh, you know, this, the political difference, extreme political difference, can create a huge, you know, a conflict in relationship. And uh, I know a couple in our church who dated for seven years, and their first uh, uh, dating was a total disaster because one was very conservative or Republican. And uh, you, you know, which one was that, right? That is uh, usually husband, someone. And the uh, wife was, uh, you know, very uh, open-hearted and open-minded, liberal Democrat. And uh, it's a miracle that they dated for seven years. And they survived the first, you know, dating, and then they ended up marrying, and now they have two beautiful children. It is a total grace of God. Now, let me share another couple who survived the political difference. We're going to see the picture, I mean, painting of a two, two old uh, uh, couple in uh, 18th century. This is a Susanna Wesley and Samuel Wesley. 
parents of John Wesley, the founder of a Methodist church, one of the greatest Christian ministers and the revival preachers. They've been married for 10 years and they had 10 children. And by this time, they had only seven survived. And this Anglican pastor's marriage was divided by the political difference. Susanna Wesley supported the King James. Do you remember the King James? One who authorized the Bible, official Bible translation. That's why we call King James Bible is the authorized version. It's authorized by King James, not by God. So don't get confused. But uh, King James, she, she supported the King James, but her husband Samuel Wesley supported new king named Williams, who was uh, Dutch and also son-in-law of King James and actually overthrew the King James. And one day when Samuel prayed for King Williams at the dinner table, Susanna Wesley refused to say amen. And that got into an argument and even altercation. And guess what? That led them to separation. Can you imagine? Pastor and his wife were separated for five months because of political difference. No? Can you imagine Jamie and I were living in separate houses because of a political difference? They were separated for five months until King Williams died and Samuel returned. And then conflict was resolved and reconciled. And then fruit of their reconciliation, guess what was the fruit of their reconciliation? John Wesley was born. So, one uh, New Testament commentator said this, the startling juxtaposition of this former Rome hater with a Matthew, former lackey of Rome, shows that new community of Jesus has embraced and transcended the tensions in the old community of Israel. And here is the good news. This problematic fellowship can be cured by love of Jesus. Fellowship of disciples who share the same call of Christ transcend all human tensions and difference, political, ideological, economical, social differences. And that's the good news for all of us. We have differences, but together in Christ, we can overcome. Through Christ, we can really become, now my third and final point, powerful fellowship, powerful fellowship. So three outlines today. It was a providential fellowship, problematic fellowship, and number three is a powerful fellowship. The final good news about the shared call of discipleship is a powerful fellowship. How powerful this 12 become? The names of Jesus' apostles have become the most common names in the Western world. How many of you know people named John, Pete, Tom, Andy, Jim, Matt, Bart, or Phil? When Jesus selected the 12 apostles, they were nobodies. Not many people other than their families and neighbors knew their names. Now we name our children and grandchildren after the apostles. I like what John Ortberg, the author of Who Is This Man, says on this. Quote, because of Jesus, we now name our children after his followers, while we name our pets after Roman emperors, Nero and Caesar. 
You follow Jesus and you become powerful and beautiful at the end. Now, to see how problematic disciples became, become, became a powerful apostles of Christ, let me read another passage about Jesus calling for them. Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 3 describes the calling of 12 in this way. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called them, those he wanted, and they came to him. And verse 14, he appointed the 12, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Disciples of Jesus have two primary callings. One, to be with Jesus. The other, to do the works of Jesus. Here, to be with Jesus is the first priority. Once again, unless you are taught, you cannot teach. Unless we are filled with Jesus, we cannot fulfill his will in our world. These disciples follow Jesus, even though they had many issues and many baggage. They were not perfect, but they tried to be faithful as much as they could. And here I want to remind you the word the follow that we learned two weeks ago. What is the Greek word for follow? It's called akulotheo. Akulotheo. When Jesus said, follow me, in Greek it means akulotheo moi. Follow me. Akulotheo moi. And Greek word akulotheo is a very interesting word. It's a compound word with a plus kulotheo. Kulotheo means road. A means no. You know, Greek, anytime you put a A in front of the word, it negates the full meaning. So, akulotheo, or follow, in Greek literally means no road. It is paradoxical. It is actually very, very profound and true. You follow someone, not because you can see the road by yourself, but because you trust the person. So you know where your leader becomes a road you travel. It is not a cognitive and rational. It is a much more personal and deeply friendship and filial. These disciples had a hard time working together. We know that. And they had many issues. And the thing is this. They assumed they knew Jesus. But when Jesus died, what happened? Their faith died. Their fellowship died. And then three days later, after Jesus' death, they began to discover true Jesus. That Jesus tried to teach them and then told them many times. The resurrection of Jesus raised the disciples to true powerful fellowship. And that's when they became all true witnesses and uh, all suffered, except John, all died as a martyr. And that's how disciples finally fulfilled their shared call of following Jesus. And later in the Acts chapter 4, when, they, when Peter and John were brought, uh, taken to Sanhedrin, the same Jewish ruling council that condemned Jesus to uh, death. And they interrogated them, and Peter and John, this is what they said. 
when they saw the courage of Peter and John, Peter and John told them, uh, you know, it is right to obey God or obey humans. You know, this is a how, and then they was, they realized, and so when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note, these men had been with the Jesus. These men had been with the Jesus. I want to challenge all of us. During this unintended, forced isolation of a COVID-19, what is our focus? I pray that our focus is not a survival or a quick return to a normal life. I pray that we make a Christ a focus of our daily life and even our house church. You know, in our house church, focus is not each other. Focus is a Jesus. It is more than group therapy and the sharing life. Each week we confess how we follow Jesus. If our high and lows doesn't have Jesus, this is not a house church. It's just, you know, just gathering of, you know, people. So I really pray we put Jesus at the center. When Jesus is a center of our friendship in our life and our church, we will become powerful, powerful agency of God's kingdom. I chose a song of dedication, The Table of the Lord by Chris Tomlin that we sang last week. It was a really great song. And the song goes like, I'll feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at his table. Come all you weary, come and find. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Is able to restore at the table of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, we have a shared call of a discipleship because Jesus is our land. Jesus is willing to sacrifice his life and body and everything for you and I to eat and drink and to fill with his love and answer. Don't forget, we are not just a church or religious institution, organized religion. We are at the table of the Lord. Even though we don't see each other, but whenever we we get together in the name of Jesus, virtually or in the real, in concrete way, we are at the table of the Lord. We are feeding each other with a Jesus love. And that's what we are. That's what God expects us to be. And that's what the world needs to see. Let's pray.